Welcome to Talking About Email, the podcast that tells you what's up in the world of email marketing. Brought to you by iContact. From the US to the UK, here are your hosts and email experts, John Hayes and Hank Hoffmeyer. Now let's get to Talking About Email. Cheers, y'all. Thank you for joining us today. John and Hank are here to give you what's new in the world of email marketing, whether it's news or the topics that we want to discuss. Today, I'm coming to you from Switzerland, and I'm joined by John. How are you today, John? I'm doing really well, Hank. I'm doing really well. I'm going to be traveling myself next week. I'm, um, I'm heading down to Portugal, so I'm looking forward to that. But you're, you're heading back to the U.S., right, next week? I'm actually heading back to France, a small town that I can't remember the name of, for a week, and then I'm in Paris for a week, and I'm back in the States on August 6th. Awesome. You, you get around, Hank. You get around. <laughs> This has been a great vacation. I, you know, when I get back, you know, uh, I can definitely do a little bit of an update on it. Uh, but here in Switzerland, the Alps have been amazing. We went up this, uh, I guess it's called a cog train, and it goes up the side of the mountain, almost vertical. And it's kind of scary in a way. They used to use it to bring materials up to build a dam on top of the mountain. And now they just ferry people up. And then we took the two-hour uh, walk back down. And that was something that was really tiring yesterday, and I slept in late today. You say you say it's a vacation, no, but you know, you're still getting the work done as well. I mean, I guess you're you're taking a leaf out of the the, the, the Tim Ferriss four hour work week. Obviously, you're working a few more hours than four um, a few more hours than four hours a week. But um, yeah, you're still cranking it out. I guess you're using the time difference to your to your benefit. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a self-dubbed work a frolic. I work when I want to and play when I want to, and this kind of is a vacation. But I'm making sure. I get done what I need to, which almost every small business or entrepreneur needs to do. Exactly, exactly. So what's happening in the news this weekend? Well, I read an article by Marketing Profs that talks about email benchmarks for Q1, and it talked about engagement and subscriber trends. And I think it's important to look at, you know, how did email marketing fare in Q1 versus, say, Q4 of last year? And some of the results, when I was reading, I thought maybe it had something to do with something else rather than what it actually did. I said email marketing volume actually declined about 29%. Uh, and they said it was due to a holiday dip. But I don't know if GDPR caused any of that as well. But in Q1, you're normally going to have a big dip because everybody has that large push for the Q4 holidays, especially in the U.S. My God would tell me, actually, at the beginning of the year, Email marketing would have should have gone up because of GDPR because we saw all of those you know resubscribe um, emails that went out there so that's that's kind of a curious metric, right? I would say volume should have went up but engagement should have went down um, and they were saying that engagement with brand emails between Q4 in, of 2017 and Q1 of 2018 actually went up about six percent quarter over quarter. Which was, you know, to me, like you said, interesting because I, I think we talked about, I forgot which episode it was, it was another episode, we talked about how, I think it was like only one in four people engaged with these GDPR consent emails. Yeah, um, it sounds like there's something skewing those, those numbers um, c- completely. And I don't know about in the US, but certainly in the UK, um, you know, Q1 is still a fairly busy time for, for email marketing because... 
I always tell people the holidays don't really end until Valentine's Day, and that's you know February the fourteenth. So you know we should still be seeing a high volume of of sales emails you know coming through after um, after Christmas and, and the festivities. Um, and yeah, as I say, then then we've got all those GDPR emails on top of that, which had um, yeah, which probably had a low engagement rate. So yeah, I'm I'm wondering where these figures have have come from and perhaps how happier they are. Right, and it proves the point. Don't don't believe in what you read. Just go out there and do your own marketing and try to beat your own benchmarks. Yeah, I guess there's always a huge problem with benchmarks, and I've said it before. You know. You've got to compare apples with apples and oranges with oranges because, you know, the biggest benchmark that people always ask me about is open rates and click-through rates, and um, you know, they compare themselves to their competitors, and that's foolish because their competitors aren't always following industry best practices. So the only person you should really compare your metrics against is yourself. Compete with yourself. Um, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. And yeah, I'm guessing that um, this source had a relatively small pool of people they were they, they were sampling, and as a result, you know, if one or two people pulled back on the email marketing, there would be a substantial decline. Um, who knows? Yeah, I agree. I think you definitely need to be your own competition. And you said other people might be doing something differently or more. Maybe they're sending a lot more emails or a lot less emails than you, even if you're in the same industry. Therefore, always look at what you're doing and uh, look at the industry averages for your industry and strive to be a target, but it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. They also mentioned that click rates jumped up 12% and then the total click rate increased by 19%. It just shows you that email marketing is still going strong and it needs to be something that you need to double down on this year is something I've been thinking about. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's, that's great. Yeah, the fact there's been a decline um, or they, they, they're reporting a decline, but the click rate's going up. That's actually really positive news because that tells me that the emails that are going out are, are more engaging, are more relevant, are more targeted. And, you know, get ready to drink that cup of coffee. They're sending the right mails to the right people at the right time. They're finally listening to all that messaging that we're putting out there, John. They're doing the it's right thing. They're, they're, they're <laughs> people that tuned in last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they skewed the metrics for us in a positive manner. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to compete with yourself, um, but you don't um, really you know, know how to get started, eye contact is, is the perfect place for you to start. We work with tens of thousands of small businesses all around the world. And, you know, they aren't computer experts, they aren't marketing experts, but we have the technology and the people that will hold your hand and walk you through the process and share best practices to get you started and to get you competing in your niche. So you want to learn more about our software, check out iContact.com. We have a free 30-day trial, no credit cards um, required. Just input your details and get started. And one of our advisors will be um, on the the phone to you um, in a short while to, to hold your hand if you need any help. Interesting enough, John, last week I created a trial for an organization that I'm doing some volunteering for, the Triangle American Marketing Association, um, moving them over to iContact and going to use uh, iContact as the method to sending out our newsletters. 
And, you know, I used information that identified the account with the volunteer group that I'm working for, not myself. Therefore, I went through the experience of what a normal customer would, the reach out, the, the great customer service, and, and the awesome onboarding that eye contact does. And I, I kind of just let it sail through just to see what it would be like. And at the end, I just said, well, this is actually Hank. I work in the same building as you. And, you know, we laughed and, and it was fun and uh, interesting. And sometimes I think, you know, as a, an employee of a company, you need to know how everything operates. And I know and I talk about how our customer services or how our onboarding is and how our uh, strategic advisors give advice. But sometimes you need to really jump back in and see it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the principle of the secret shopper, really. Um, I wonder, you know, when I go to the supermarket or go around a, a shopping mall, you know, how many senior managers from organizations you know, take the suit and tie off and actually walk on the shop floor and try and buy products or, or, or services. Um, they may be pleasantly surprised at how their team is working or they may be absolutely horrified. So it's it's vital that you, you know, try and buy your, your product or service every now and again and see how your team is coping and to see what training needs them in place. And I would say if the service is terrible and you are the business owner, it is probably your fault. You need to you know, start um, rolling out your know, training programs and, and improving the situation. You take the eye off the ball and the service goes down, you know, you've got nobody else to blame but yourself. So, yeah, I think it's vital that all companies, all right. managers go through that process. Yeah, we need to see that hands-on rather than just look at what's called our CSAT SAT scores, which is our customer service scores that customers give to us. Even though the numbers may be high, you mentioned tweaking things and making them better. Therefore, you always need to be looking at processes, whether it's your email marketing process, your customer service process, your support process, everything. Take a look at it. Yeah, inside and out every now and then to see how you can always be doing it better because your competition probably is. Yeah, it's, it's marginal gains, really. Um, yeah, I, I'm a keen cyclist, as anyone who reads my blogs knows. And if you look at um, yeah, Team Sky in the Tour de um, France, they're all about marginal gains. You know, shaving a second off here, shaving a second off there, reducing um, a bike by a gram or two here or there. And all of those marginal gains you know, help. You know, if your campaign can you know, bring in a few extra dollars here and, and, and there, you know, those dollars all add up. And it's those little things that, that make the difference. Hey, John, isn't it true that somebody in the Tour de France, one of the cyclists, tried to shave seconds by headbutting another cyclist? I think I read that the <laughs> other day. I don't know. I don't know. I was watching it yesterday and... Um, Chris Froome, the, um, the British cyclist, um, was punched by a spectator. So all sorts of things go on in the Tour de France. I remember reading an article once back in the early days, um, a rider actually um, got off his bike and, and took the train at one stage. So anything can happen in that quite crazy bike race. Here in Switzerland, going up the mountain passes, I, I think it's just crazy that there were so many cyclists going up this mountain and just I couldn't stop counting them. And I would not even be able to make it quarter of the way they did so props to the people that you know go miles and miles and miles on, on bikes and that's including you john <laughs> you know it's funny um I, I i compare cycling and email marketing you know, all too often in my in my blog posts and you know in, indulge me in my hobby but 
earlier in the year, we did a, a, a charity bike ride across um, the Algarve in Portugal, and it was a fantastic um, few days, 150-mile ride. So, you know, nothing compared to what these guys are doing every single day in the Tour de France. Uh, one of the guys that was with us hadn't been on a bike for 15 years, and he really, really struggled. Um, but as the days went on, he got better and he got better. And on the first day, he absolutely hated it. On the last day, he was talking about you know, doing it all over again next year. And I think email marketing can be a little bit like that as well. You know, that first send can be you know, a horrible experience. You're trying to get to grips with the software. You're trying to write a good subject line. You're trying to write your good um, body text. Um, and you get stressed about it because, you know, it's a, it's a very public forum you're in. But as you get used to it and as you test and you optimize and you get, you get better, it becomes an absolute joy. And it's yeah, something, and, you know, yeah. It's something you, you can't only do once. You, you've got to maintain that constant flow of, of campaigns going out. Uh, and it can only get better uh, as you optimize and you learn. That's right. And you know, I wanted to move a little bit away from what we talked about in the first few episodes. We were talking about list building and some of your early best practices of, you know, how do you get subscribers and how do you get them engaged, right? On the other side of the spectrum is people that don't want to be on your list anymore and they want to unsubscribe or maybe change their preferences. Uh, I dug up an article that Jay Gross on our design team wrote recently about the anatomy of an effective, what we call manage your subscription page. Some people might call it an unsubscribe page, but often marketers overlook this powerful tool where you can try to keep your the folks that are becoming disengaged more engaged with your email marketing or maybe get them to follow you on other channels like social media or anything else that you might do rather than losing them all together. Therefore, you know, taking the stress that you already have from, oh my God, I have to build a list. You, oh my God, I have to send out great looking emails. The, the, I think the, the most stressful part is losing subscribers. And I don't think people need to be afraid of that for numerous reasons, but you definitely want to try to keep them in the fold. But if they want to go, you, you need to let them go for numerous reasons. And I thought it was worth talking about that today. Yeah, undoubtedly, because um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to lose a subscriber. Email marketing is a, a very cost-effective way of communicating with somebody, but if they no longer want to be communicated with, perhaps you know they no longer require um, your, your your service um, for any number of reasons, and that could be a great reason. Uh, you know, a, a real estate agent. You know, may have sold you a house and you know you may not want to buy another house so there's no point in spending even a tiny amount of money marketing um, to them although if you think about it if you allow them to manage um, yeah, their subscription um, you can stop sending them the sales emails and you can start sending them a perhaps monthly email looking at house prices in their particular postcode or, or, or region because even after you've bought the house, you're almost certainly interested in the value of that house. Right. And I also think that you can send general tips on caring for your house, maintenance, how to find the right contractor if your AC goes out, a plumber. And, and maybe you don't stay engaged with them for a whole nother year because maybe there's not a whole lot of content you can put out there, but you can stay in touch with them. And then maybe they can 
you know, your subscribers can refer other people to you, or like you said, maybe at some point they're ready to do something else, whether it's, you know, maybe they moved into the wrong house and they want to upsize again or downsize, uh, just stay in touch with them. But the wrong thing to do is force somebody to stay on your list because that can create some animosity. And at some point they're going to either going to hit the spam button or they're going to forcefully unsubscribe. And, you know, if your brand name ever comes up, somebody might talk about you negatively. You have to think about all the repercussions of, not doing things the right way and providing the mechanism for people to easily get off of your list. But remember, they can always come back, right? Sure, sure. And yeah, I think you know, keeping in touch with them in a gentle way. So as I say, going from the, the sales email to the, the four leadership pieces is a fantastic way of doing that. And I thought leadership piece could be, as I said, monthly or you know, bi-monthly um, email that, that goes out to them and offers them you know, gentle reminders and also helps build a community around your brand. Um, you know, people are just hanging out on, you know, in your emails, on your blog, on your websites. And when it comes to uh, a time when they want to buy a service from you again, or perhaps they have a friend or a colleague or a family member who wants to buy uh, a product or service from you, you will get the recommendation. And I think I'd probably say this far too much as well. It's like birds of a feather flock together. You know, if you have one customer that's interested in your products or service, the chances are they will have friends or colleagues or family who are also interested in that product or service. So it's just maintaining that conversation. And remember, email marketing is very much about uh, a conversation because it is a two-way channel. Right, and you also talk about people want to buy from you. Nobody wants to be sold to, but they want to buy from you. Therefore, being that thought leader and doing the you know informational type of messages, and then later you know ask to have them buy from you is the way to do it. Rather than being so pushy and say no, stay on my list, and you want to buy from me here. Here's what I have on sale. You know, learn to send the right message at the right time to the right person and effectively have a relationship. One thing I hate is when marketers use no reply at you know their domain. It kind of comes across as them not being like uh, not being personable like they don't want people to reply to that email and ask a question or provide information. I think that you need to have an open relationship with people because email started out as a way to communicate back and forth. It's not a one-way channel, right? Not Twitter's not either. Facebook's not as well. You can send out a tweet and post on Facebook and people can reply to it. Therefore, don't use do not reply. Yeah. I also think as well, I mean, this is going back to an example of an email I received earlier in the week. Um, it was a dodgy email for a start. Um, I don't know if it was uh, an individual send or part of, of a spam com- um, campaign. But essentially, they were targeting me as somebody who works at eye contact and offering me lists of um, subscribers to other you know, software as a service products. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't touch it, but you know, as an email marketing professional, I read through the email and I looked at everything that was wrong with it. The first thing that was wrong with it was... Yeah, there was no company details on the email. It didn't look completely and utterly legit. The second thing, obviously, it was completely illegal. Um, thirdly, um, you know, it wasn't complying with GDPR. So it amazes me that people are still sending, um, you know, these these offers to to buy lists. Um, the domain name didn't work. It didn't point to a, a, a real website. But the crazy thing was, two days later, 
I got quite an aggressive email back from them again saying, hey, why haven't you called me? And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to reply to that because, you know, I'm not going to reply to that. You know, the guy was just being a jerk, you know, and, you know, there's nothing like an aggressive email that's going to put you off, you know, buying from, you know, from that um, company, even if it was a legitimate product. But how do you even know if it was a good deal, John? You might have, it might have been a steal of a century. It might have been. It was stolen, certainly. <laughs> Especially when you're sending the same list to numerous people, right? Your costs are kind of low, so therefore you can offer such a great deal. But you know, even though, like you said, they did so many things wrong, they actually didn't even follow you know general best practices to even get you interested. And they were just sell, sell, sell. They were in that mantra the whole time where they should have tried to at least pique your interest, even if you're doing it wrong. But, you know, not saying I condone their actions, but it sounded like they did every single thing wrong. Yeah, horrible, 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 horrible. But that's the nature, that's the nature of spam. And I think it's the nature of, um, you know, you can't con an honest person. Uh, I, wonder if your, I wonder if your email address was on a purchase list. That's how they emailed you. <laughs> Probably, probably. But I will say this. I have dealt with marketeers from companies of all shapes and sizes all over Europe and the US for the past 20 years, and I have never um, spoken to anyone who has found a purchase list to be successful. So take out the, the question of legality. Take out the question of um Permission, you know, take out the questions of you know, GDPR and can spam and you know, what's the Canadian version of that called? Castle. Yep. Take 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 all of those out out of the the equation, and it still doesn't work. So, yeah, hey, just don't buy them, folks. Right. I was speaking at a conference, and somebody asked me, "How do I use a purchase list?" He said a brokered list. So I wanted to clarify. I said purchased. He said yes. I said immediately going to get some results and you'll probably make some sales right away. But the repercussions to all the negative things that are, you know, in regards to all the negative things that are going to happen are not worth it. You, know, you could get put on a blacklist and your emails never see the light of day. I don't manually complain about you. Uh, you'll probably end up in more spam folders. People will talk about you. You can get fined. I could go on and on. Is it worth that little surge in sales to ultimately really affect your email marketing for you know months and years to come yeah not not at all there is a way if if you genuinely don't have a list you know you can you vent lists from um you know trade magazines or, or or organizations where they will send a campaign out on your behalf you never take ownership of that list so so a trade magazine or a newspaper or a an organization will send out an email on your behalf. And um, yeah, that can, that can work for you. It can drive significant results, but it will be incredibly expensive. Email marketing addresses are yeah, cherished by, by the people who own them in their lists, and they will charge a lot of money to send out emails on your behalf. So what you need to do is capture the people who engage with that email as quickly as possible. And that means having a great landing page um, where you can, I don't know, promote an ebook, a webinar, uh, an event, um, you know, some sort of download, and just capture that information and get their permission to start remarketing to them yourself. 
I, I think landing page are one of the best ways that you can facilitate getting, number one, permission to email people and getting enough data so that you know who you're emailing and any other information that you might need to personalize or target them effectively. You know, maybe their location, you know, definitely their first name for personalization. It could be their interests and likes if you can gather that information. And I know a lot of times restaurants, when they have a landing page and want you to sign up for their email newsletter, they'll ask you for your birthday or at least the month and year or maybe even just a month. And I don't know about everybody else, but I love free food. And for the most part, they're asking for your birthday so they can send you a coupon for either a free meal or you know a discounted meal around your birthday. Therefore, I'm willing to give that information up. You want to make sure you're only asking for the data you need up front. And going back to that manager subscription page, you can always direct people back there to update that with more information, uh, whether it is location information, preferences, this way you can target them better. But in the onset, your landing page at the minimum and sometimes the maximum should only ask for the first name and email address so you can start a relationship. Yeah, without a doubt. I speak with so many sales directors who want so much more information and all they're doing is the landing page is opening the door and then the subscription form is just slamming it back in their face again because people just don't like to give away too much detail before you know, they've consumed you know, a, a product, whether it's a thought leadership piece or whether it's a trial software. You know, they, they, they don't like to be sold to. You know, they want to see the value first. What do you think about B2B landing pages? Let's say that you received uh, a tweet and it talks about a great white paper on how to market effectively to Generation Z. And you want to download that white paper and it asks for your name, full name, email address, your industry, company size, and maybe some other bits of information. Do you think that that's okay? I see that a lot and I'm willing to fill that out, but I don't know if that's something that everyone is willing to do. I see it a lot, and um, I think you know, it's something that really needs to be tested, I guess, but I'm guessing for every field in that form that you add to it, you will lose some engagement. Now, as I say, I might be very interested in, in reading um, that content, but I may not want to be sold to at that exact time. Um, so. You know, I'm, I'm not going to put too much information in there. If I put any information in there, it might be false information. You know, I don't know exactly what our turnover is. I don't know exactly how many people you know, we employ. I don't know if we are going to be buying a piece of software or if we have budget for a piece of software. So I'm not going to fill that information in, but I can influence, you know, the, the wider team to maybe look at this software or look at this product later in the day. So surely it's better to just put that information in front of me. And from a lead generation point of view, you know, if I put my name and my email address in there, you know, they can just copy that email address or my name into LinkedIn and they can see exactly who I am and they can see if I'm a hot lead or, or not. And, you know, if I'm in LinkedIn, there's always a way you know, to get in touch um, with, with me. So I would err on the form being as short as possible, even just an email address to get that information in front of me. Because you never know, if I read that email, if I read that um, piece of thought leadership, and it really makes me interested, I might even pick the phone up and say, hey, I want to buy your products, rather than you call me. Right. I agree with you as far as looking on LinkedIn, but maybe some companies don't have the bandwidth to do all that research. And I think they should. 
but maybe they just need to be asking for more relevant information that will help them start a relationship and tell you how their products are going to help. And that could be, okay, are you marketing B2C or B2B? That helps. Well, you know, are you, what industry are you in? Are you, you know, in marketing? Are do you uh, manufacture? Are you an engineer? Stuff like those types of information or those bits of information, I think help a little bit more. And the next email that they might send to you after downloading a white paper can be a little bit more relevant. As you mentioned, company size and all that, not everybody knows that. And it's probably not relevant to the conversation. I know they're probably trying to fit you into a certain price model they have or know if you can even afford their software based on your annual revenue as a company and maybe how many licenses you would need based on your company size. But that doesn't need to be known early on in the relationship. So here's the thing. I think too many companies um, jump on every single lead they receive. And it's that constant battle between marketing and, and sales. You know, we're not getting enough leads. The leads aren't good enough quality. Um, salespeople really just want you know, leads that they can you know, follow up on uh, and, and close. And, you know, that's always going to be a battle between marketing um, uh, and, and sales. I would argue that fewer leads of higher quality will always win the day. Um, that doesn't mean you want to limit the amount of leads that come in because you don't know where somebody is going to be working you know, next week or the week, before, you know, the week after. You, know, you might be hitting um, students who are just about to enter the workplace and, you know, they may be in the, the market to buy your software or your product or whatever you're selling in a year's time or two years' time. So you definitely want to get them into the loop. And I think this is one of the areas where marketing automation helps because you know, perhaps you can't make that decision whether they're a hot lead or not from that first send. Um, perhaps it's something you realize two or three sends down the line or two or three engagements down the line. And marketing automation tools like iContact Pro will definitely help you um, separate the wheat from the chaff, if you like, in, in your, your lead flow by identifying hot leads against lukewarm leads. We call it lead scoring, you know, and right. you can set any number of criteria to, um, to score a lead. So an email comes in, they download a white paper, great. They then go to a website and they click on a specific link. They might click on a link on a, on a social media campaign. The more engagement and the more targeted that engagement is, the higher their lead score becomes. And then it's, it's not cold call from a salesperson following the download of a white paper or somebody who's just registered for a webinar because they have a general interest. It becomes a warm sales call because you know they're generally interested in your, your organization. Yeah, most purchases are not you know compulsive. In other words, nobody just wants to normally just go out and buy right away, unless it's me and Apple products. But you know, that's a different story. First, people go into a research mode and they look at what they want to buy. They research it, then they go into analysis mode and they're going to analyze the purchase. You know, is it a good price? Is it good quality? Is it going to last a while? Then they're probably going to go into the purchase phase. And some people do that with cars, right? Unless they really know what they want, they've done uh, a lot of information gathering or recommendation from someone else they don't go to a dealership and just buy a car it's like i want this one right here let me buy it they're going to research information on it safety gas mileage they're going to test drive it and that's going to be analyzing it then they're going to wheel and deal and try to get the best possible price on that car therefore you mentioned lead scoring i think that's an important feature to use because it lets you know when people might be ready to have a conversation and if you need to send them more information yeah, without a doubt. I know personally, I uh, I research absolutely 
everything um, be, before I, I buy. You know, if we're talking about family vacation, you know, we're all over TripAdvisor. If we're looking to buy a new car, you know, we're all over all the view sites. Uh, I'll speak to people um, that I personally know in, in the trade. Uh, I'll speak to friends and family who have similar models that we're interested in looking in. Um, because I don't want to go into a dealership because I'm, I'm one of these people who doesn't really know too much about cars. I'm, 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 I'm not a petrol head. And I would hate to be sold to, um, you know, if people are actively selling to me, it really puts me off and I'll probably end up walking out. So I need to go in fully equipped so that I know I'm getting the best deal and, and, and the best product because I, I don't want buyer's remorse. And I think more and more people are like that now and the internet, is giving us the tools to be able to do that. So it all comes down to, you know, capturing people's um, contact details via you know, good landing pages and then sending them great content so that they can almost make their own mind up without being sold. Great piece of sales advice I received many, many years ago um, from, a, from a sales trainer. When you sit in front of a client, you should always say to them, the first thing you should say to them, are you ready to buy now or would you like me to talk about this? Because in many cases, you know, people are ready to buy because they have done all of the research and perhaps they just need to haggle on at the price. And certainly in my experience in the years that I've worked in, in marketing and sales, I've seen a hell of a lot of salespeople talk their way out of a sale. So, you know, if you can provide great content and you can get people into the conversation warm, you will almost certainly sell more. When it comes to car dealerships, is there a lot of them in the UK? Because I noticed here in Switzerland and I was in Italy and then in France, there's not a lot of car dealerships where in the US, it feels like just one in every corner. I tell you something, Hank, it absolutely amazes me um, where I live. I live in the, the northeast of, um, of England in a, in a little seaside resort and it seems there is a car dealership for maybe every 10 people in the town I live in. And there are entire industrial estates that have nothing else but car dealerships. Uh, it amazes me you know, how they can sell so many cars or that, you know, to such a small population. And I'm just amazed at the diesel engines over here, how great they are in gas you know again miles per gallon i guess is what you want to call it you know we fill it up and it costs us i think like 80 euros but it lasts the whole week or even more and we drive a lot uh, being that we have a rental car here in europe uh, yeah i guess um efficiency is is probably the word in europe we, we drive smaller cars and um but the price of gas over here is, is so much more expensive than it is in the u.s yeah, doing 130 kilometers on one of the highways here, you know, small wind comes along. We have a pretty small car. It feels like you're going to get pushed into the other lane. <laughs> well, I think that's a wrap for this week. We discussed a lot of great things, you know, making sure that you give people a way to unsubscribe. You have a great landing page. Of course, we talked about some, you know, marketing benchmarks in the news. Uh, we definitely want to keep coming at you with some great ideas. And if you have any, you can send an email to podcast at icontact.com. You can go to icontact.com slash podcast to view show notes as well as we'll share links to some of the information we talked about today. And you can always reach out to us on Twitter, uh, whether it's at icontact or if you want to reach out to me at Hank Hoffmeyer. And John, what's your handle? It's John underscore W underscore Hayes. 
We hope you'll connect with us on Twitter and maybe other social media channels. But that's another episode in the can. Until next week, who knows where I'll be. Uh, but John will probably still be in it. Actually, will you be on vacation next week? or uh, I'm going to um, be in Portugal next week. So um, I'll be awesome. doing this podcast, hopefully from uh, a beachfront cafe. So we'll hear the sea laughing against the shore. Um, yeah, the kids will be jumping in the, in, in the water. And yeah, I'll... I'll be in a happier place. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. But yeah, we definitely want to make sure that we give everybody as much information as we can because John and I love talking about email marketing. There's nothing more we'd rather do, but we also need to unwind at times, which is kind of what I'm doing now. John's going to be doing next week. But until then, cheers, y'all. Cheers.